It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 146, The Incident Regarding Naboth's Vineyard When Moses and Joshua divided up the land of Israel for the tribes, there was very clear directions and delegations of inheritances for the tribes of Israel, even down to the specifics of families and their inheritance. Each family was granted an eternal inheritance in Israel, their land to pass unto their children and their children's children. We can see this in part of the South and the West today, where a pioneer was granted his township or 40 acres, which is now owned by the descendants of the original pioneer, each having a portion of the original 40-acre township. In Israel, this goes back to the beginning. A man's land was never intended to be given away to any other family. Family rights and land are a picture of hev our heavenly inheritance. From this perspective, and the understanding that boundary stones are considered the barbed wire and fences that tame the Wild West, we can see the huge significance of Proverbs 23.10. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong, and he will take up their case against you. Unfortunately, in this episode, Ahab is going to be the one who encroaches upon the ancient boundary stone of Naboth. And the defender will be God himself. Joel 3, 2 I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. This verse is significant and it speaks to those who divide up the land of Israel and give to another. It implies there's a special judgment to those who divide up God's inheritance, which was entrusted to his people. Next to Ahab's palace in Jezreel was a five-star vineyard and winery, the best in the country. Most likely, every bottle of wine was imprinted with the Naboth brand, and everyone raved about the harvest from Naboth's vineyard. In this episode, Ahab covets what is not his, and with the help of his wife, they murder and steal from an innocent man's family, and they seize an inheritance from the Lord, arousing the Lord's anger, and rust the accelerated judgment of God on the house of Omri. Ahab is triumphant at this point. The kingdom is firmly in his grasp, except those prophets who continually confront him. The kingdom is in his hands. He has subjugated Moab. He has an ally in Tyre, a lucrative trade network, the Sea Kingdom, and the Arameans he basically controls with the king Ben-Hadad as his ally. He's on top of his game, though he was nearly defeated soundly in a previous episode. Humbled but now on a mountaintop, blessed by God but still defiant in his heart. He's loving his life, and he's proud in his palace. He curses the prophets who still roam the countryside, and he hates when the people speak of them, but he knows there's nothing he can do about them. 
His place and blessing is because of God, though he refuses to admit it out loud. Idols pound Ahab's heart, and Jezebel rises up again to claim lordship over the throne. Everything was for his for the taking, his heart not repentant and humble, but exposed to the control of the flesh. Through sin and offense, Ahab invites all sorts of evil spirits to take over through his imagination, and every morning he doesn't get up and worship God. No, every morning he wakes up probably in a cloud from the night before, and he looks out of his palace and he sees a magnificent vineyard across the way, and he desires it for himself. Everything he plants dies. Why does Nabal's vineyard look so good? He sulks in his heart day after day until he does something with his own envy. 1 Kings 21 Sometime later there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. So Naboth is offered whatever his asking price is for the field, but his answer may surprise you. Naboth is a man of God, and he refuses the king based upon God's law, not the king's law, or the law of Ahab, or the law of Jezebel, or the law of the Baals. He does what God commands the Israelites to keep their inheritance. 1 Kings 21.3 But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. Naboth did the right thing, and he refused Ahab's request, and said the Lord forbid it because it was part of his inheritance. Now Ahab spiritually gets this because he has seen the power of God, and it makes him angry because it goes against a grain of earthly power. Worldly kings can have and do whatever they want, but not ones that are accountable to God. Not getting what he wants and being accountable to anyone infuriates Ahab. He goes into some sort of strange fit and loses it. 1 Kings 21.4 So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed, sulking and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard, and if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Now you've got to consider this scene in the context of their relationship. Jezebel and Ahab are in the palace. The upset little spoiled brat Ahab hasn't gotten his way. But the snake Jezebel wants to make this issue even worse. A good wife should have said, So what, Ahab? It's not yours. You can't have it. Just let it be. Let's just plant you a garden somewhere else. Instead, Jezebel does what Jezebel does. She uses the opportunity to fall in line with her master, the devil, to kill, steal, and destroy. To kill Naboth, to steal his land, and destroy his family. Ahab passively but knowingly agrees to what Jezebel is doing. Like a lead mafia leader, she assigns others to do her dirty work. 1 Kings 21.7 Jezebel, his wife, said, Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with them, and on those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting, and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him, and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and king. Then take him and stone him to death. What an insight into this wicked woman. She is nasty. We don't actually have a lot of dialogue of her 
conversing with others in the Bible. To have this, we have an insight into her villainry, if that's a word. She's manipulative and wicked and commits evil like a gangster paying someone off to kill someone. 1 Kings 21.11 So the elders and nobles who lived in Nabal's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. This is common for kings, the seizure of land and treasures and resources to support their cause. But it's such a good detailed account to show us the horrible heart issues with Ahab and Jezebel. The account gets worse. 2 Kings 9.26 implies that Jezebel had not only Naboth killed, but all of his sons, so that they wouldn't inherit the land from their father. Now that's even worse. She killed Naboth and his sons to kill off the entire family line. An entire family line was destroyed by Jezebel. Now you can imagine what God is going to do about this. Can't send Micah to prophesy. He's in prison. The unknown prophet doesn't show up, but out of the wilderness comes Elijah. The accelerated judgment of God in the house of Armory will be swift in coming, and it will come through a variety of means. And after possibly a ten-year silence, Elijah arrives on the scene, delivering a judgment word followed by a word of mercy, even for Ahab. 1 Kings 21.17 Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He's now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, This is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, This is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood, yes, yours. Ahab said to Elijah, So you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He says, I am going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Baasha, son of Ahijah, because you have aroused my anger and have caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. And that's intense, and we have to park here for a bit. Wipe out the descendants means there's going to be a war between God and the descendants of Ahab. Just like the family line of Naboth was destroyed, so will the family line of Ahab. Further, I'd like to extend a subplot into human history. God's also going to have an ongoing feud with the descendants of Jezebel as well. And, there's, and it's going to go kind of backwards and it's going to follow her family line. It's basically Baal worship. 
God is going to oppose Baal worship all through human history. There's going to even create an interesting subplot in human history going all the way to ancient Carthage, which we'll cover in another episode, and possibly further. Following the family line back to Tyre of Jezebel, it trails with it Baal worship. And we track it through history and how the cities that were consecrated to Baal are eventually destroyed themselves, just like Jezebel. But we'll get there later. Also, you get the take here of Ahab's emotional instability. He's a train wreck, but he repents. He repents quickly, ever so temporary, but he does repent. It's almost like this is the repentance that allowed his dynasty to continue past the second generation. There's no steadfast spirit in him. He sins and quickly repents, and then goes right back to his idols. God receives his temporary repentance and suspends his judgment, though only temporarily. 1 Kings 21-27 When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on the house and the days of his son. Ahab, who repents temporarily, will receive a temporary mercy from this word, and his children will not receive immediate judgment, but in another generation. But Jezebel, who didn't repent, the judgment word will fall squarely on her, and she will receive the judgment word for word as stated in the prophecy. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, we have to study our hearts. David coveted Bathsheba, and he was so led away by it that he eventually committed murder. Ahab coveted a land that was not his. He was willing to allow lies, deception, manipulation, and murder to happen to receive this land. Both these sins started with the heart. Temptation is the arrows that fly in the spirit. But when we listen to them and desire what is of the flesh and not of God, our heart is led astray. This is where the fear of the Lord keeps our heart in line. Outside of this scene, David was quite faithful to God. Check out this prayer he prayed. This prayer keeps our heart in check. Psalm 139.23 Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He was so serious about walking with God, he allowed his heart to be tested and checked and constantly brought back in line. King David, I mean, what a prayer. Are we willing to do this? This keeps our hearts in line with God. By this, we remain faithful to God. The fear of the Lord keeps our hearts in check. When we steer away from God, we miss the heavenly fruit in our lives. See, Naboth, his Hebrew name actually means fruit. Naboth was a picture of God's heavenly fruit, and it was right outside Ahab's palace. It was a reminder of heaven. It was a heavenly garden. Ahab couldn't create a garden as nice as Naboth's. It was a picture of heavenly fruit available to Ahab. He wanted what wasn't his. He wanted what was a picture of the eternal. He wanted a heaven, but he wouldn't submit to God's authority. He could repent, we find out, but it was only temporary. 
His heart was never fully committed to God. Surrender to God was not in his vocabulary. When Naboth denied the king's request, his heart hardened more and more. He knew what he should do. Surrender this issue to God and surrender his life, but he refused. God was probably seriously working to get Ahab's attention through this, but instead of surrender and submission to God and giving up his lordship for God's, he hardened his heart. Naboth, who means fruit, represented the spiritual fruit available to Ahab. Instead of heavenly fruit, Ahab sulked and invited demonic fruit and invited further darkness with his passive agreement with his wife's strategy of taking the land. See, Naboth represents the tree of life. But instead of eating from the tree of life and working with Naboth and being blessed that there's a man like Naboth in his land and his territory, Ahab chose the wrong fruit. Ahab took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he turned it all to darkness. To the kings out there, there's a simple statement that is profound. What you do in your private life impacts you in public. What you do in the corners of your heart impacts your soul. Your life, no matter how hard you try, will reflect the condition of your heart. Life is the overflow of your heart condition. Back to David's verse. All sins start small as a heart condition. In the case of Ahab, he coveted the land. Instead of repenting of this, it led to theft and murder. We must guard our heart and capture those thoughts and agreements with coveting and darkness and guard our heart for our life is a reflection of the condition of our heart. We end this episode again with David's famous verse of humility and the fear of the Lord. Psalm 139.23 Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.